Listener Production. This is Global Truth with Dr. Keith Souter. We're talking today about a very dangerous worldwide relationship. It's dangerous for many, many countries, this particular one. Russia, China. They've had their differences over the years, Keith, despite both being mainly leftist countries. But this new friendship, it's got a few people worried, (laughs) key people around the world, doesn't it? Absolutely. So um, they've had an on-off relationship, well, arguably for centuries. You go back to the days of uh, the Mongol invasion of the old Soviet, well, of Russia. Forget the Soviet Union, of Russia. And um, you had this golden horde that swept out, out out of Asia, swept down into India, the Middle East, and up through the rear end of Russia. And Russia are very sensitive about their rear end. <laughs> it's, <laughs> it's 13 time zones away from Petrograd or St. Petersburg or Leningrad, whatever whatever time zone you're in. So it's a big country, Russia. Was a big country, remains a big country. Um, and so they felt very vulnerable about the people at the far end, the Asian masses, the Asian hordes. Um, and so there's this long-standing fear in the Russian tribal memory, which goes back centuries, of people attacking you from your rear end, right? So You just want to keep saying rear end, don't absolutely, you, Absolutely, <laughs> because it, that, that's what I find registers when I talk to people. They suddenly, you know, they, they worry picture about it. their rear end and they can picture it and they can begin to feel how Russians feel <laughs> when it comes to China. And then, of course, in, we get the Russian Revolution, Russia becomes for a while the Soviet Union until 1991 and then the Soviet Union sees itself as the leader of a new communist era. So 1917 is seen as a, there from their point of view, as a turning point in the history of humankind. They then become the model for aspiring communist parties around the world, one of which is in China. And in the fullness of time, the Chinese communists take over. So that's 1949. And so they, in the early years, had a reasonable relationship with the old Soviet Union. So for me, it's always fascinating to see this this contrast. On the one hand, you've got the the power of history, this long arm of history which reaches back over the centuries, and the more immediate issues of politics. So the long arm of history is this enmity between Russia and China. I might just say during the period of, of the what's called the warring period in China, which is the period when China fell off the international radar screen because 400 years ago it was producing one-third of the gross global product, right? So a third of the global economy was coming out of China. Um, Who was that that under? The the emperors at the time, right? Mm. So they were doing well. You know, it may well be that um, we had a Chinese ship that visited Australia in 1421. They certainly got to East Africa because they took animals back from East Africa to China. So they were a major power 500 years ago. And so then China falls apart and then countries start to nibble away at China. Nobody ever got complete control over China, but the British got Hong Kong. The Russians got a piece of, of territory. I've actually been on this disputed territory. So theoretically, you can walk from China into Russia 
uh, you do it across a frozen river. You wouldn't want to get your head blown off, but theoretically you can walk at the far eastern end of, of the old Soviet Union or Russia. So there is this long-standing enmity that on the one hand the Russians are worried about the Golden Horde and then the Chinese are worried because the Russians stole some of their territory in the 1890s and they still haven't handed it back. So you have on the one hand this uh, long arm of history but also the more immediate issues of politics. And for a while, um, after 1949, there were reasonably good relations between... uh, Premier Khrushchev in the old Soviet Union, and Chairman Mao. There was then a split in 1961, and the West was very slow to catch up with this. So you still would hear politicians talking about this red threat, which begins in Berlin and goes through to Beijing. And uh, so that's how they described it. But in fact, some others have described the split of, of 1961 as being one of the most profound splits since, say, the split in the Christian church, which took place in 1054 and gave us the Western Christian church and the Eastern Russian Orthodox. So the same thing had occurred in 1961. A lot of Western commentators were very slow to pick on that. I think part of the reason being you've got to scare your own citizens into spending money on defence, and you do that by over-exaggerating the power of the communist bloc. But in fact, already these two countries were not on the best of terms. So we begin to see this movement away from this friendly relationship from 1961 onwards. Harrison Salisbury in the late 1960s, who was a New York Times journalist, wrote a book called The Coming War Between Russia and China. So in exactly this disputed region, which I've travelled through, uh, he thought was going to end up as a conflict zone between... um, Russia and China, so or Russia between China and the Soviet Union. And so then we have this period of hostility, which is always, but you know, from the West, we always overgeneralize and we fail to capture the nuances and the local feelings. So obviously between Russia and China. Um, also, if you look at Vietnam, the Vietnamese know their long-term problem is not America or their ally Australia. The real problem is China. So again, it's this long march of history, this long arm of history. So we then have this period where the Americans, anxious to get out of Vietnam, the period of Nixon and Kissinger, decided that they would improve relations with China and the Soviet Union and get both of them to put pressure on Vietnam, North Vietnam. As it happened, that failed (laughs) Um, because the North Vietnamese ignored the Soviets and the Chinese and continued their struggle. But what was interesting is that that back in 71, 72, we get this remarkable change uh, whereby Richard Nixon, who'd built a career on being anti-communist, so therefore had impeccable credentials, then decides to make the journeys to Beijing and to Moscow, something which a person like President Johnson his predecessor, or President John Kennedy as Democrat, could not have done. So what, how did he justify it at the time? Well, because he said, in effect, we want to get out of Vietnam and if we improve relations with those two countries, they'll put pressure on their ally, North Vietnam. As it happens, the reasoning was faulty. The Vietnamese said uh, they're not going to do any deals with the Americans. Uh, they're going to continue their struggle. 
um, which in the end they won in 1975. But it did give us a breakthrough in terms of the uh, improvement in relations between the Soviet Union and the United States and China and the United States. This is Global Truths with Dr. Keith Souter. We're talking today about the warming friendship slash scary friendship for everyone else of (laughs) China and Russia because obviously they're not, well, they're not the West's best friends, are they, really? Not really, but they've got different agendas, right? Mm -hmm. So the Soviet Union collapsed in 1991 and uh, then we had a period of about a decade of chaos. Then we get the rise of Vladimir Putin, who's still in power, And Putin starts to reinvigorate Russia, highly controversial, some of his economic moves. But nonetheless, he's he's improving Russia's economy, but it's coming now off a low base. What we did not know during the Cold War was that the Russian economy, the Soviet economy, was about the size of Canada's. And yet they like to see themselves as the equal of the United States. The economy is now somewhere between that of Canada and Australia. So it's still coming in off a, off a low base. But Putin has um, been able to revive Russian prestige. Um, it's still pretty grim if you're living at home, but he's revived that prestige, given them a greater sense of self-respect. So that's the Russian agenda, rebuilding Russian power in the world. The Chinese agenda is different. The Chinese agenda is that they know that they're, number one enemy is the United States. It's not going to be Russia. Russia is is a small player. The real problem is the United States. And, of course, the United States is beginning to realise that the Chinese are creeping up on them. They've been very slow to acknowledge this. Remember, since 9-11 in 2001, the Americans have been focused on chasing a handful of Islamic terrorists. Made a lot of money for people, including those working in the media, because we <laughs> ramp up the threat of, of terrorism and we introduce new airport security measures every week, et cetera. Um, so, we, you know, it's been great for making money for certain individuals, but it's not been a major problem for the United States, really. The real problem for the United States has been the rise of China. Now, a phrase that I keep like to remind people, PRC is the full title of the People's Republic of China. It also means please remain calm. (laughs) And so the Chinese are gradually creeping up on the Americans. Mm. They don't want to have a head-on collision. They don't want to follow the path of the Soviet Union. Remember, both countries emerged onto the world scene in 1917. So Soviet Union had the, the Russian Revolution, the Communist Revolution. In the United States, the Americans were, after three years, dragged into World War I in 1917. So they were forced to take an interest in world affairs. Remember George Washington, the first president, said, keep out of Europe's affairs, whereas in 1917, they got involved. So 1917 is a key year for the Americans and the Soviets to start manoeuvring against each other. Now, for different reasons, both of them moved away from the world scene, and so the collision began big time after World War II when they were the two superpowers. Britain was broke, France was destroyed. So there was a a space to be filled by the Americans and the Soviets. So they were both riding high. But it was very much a tense military relationship. The Chinese are saying, we don't have a military agenda. We're just here to do trade. You want to buy things from us. We're happy to sell things. So that's how the Chinese are going about it. Please remain calm. We just want to do a deal with you. Right. So what about then 
Like today, what is it that China and Russia are bonding over? They're bonding over the mutual problem of the United States, right? They both agree that the US is a problem. But 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 it is in some regards, but then Trump is very pro-Russia, so it's... Well, I know. The problem for President Trump, uh, <laughs> as I've said before, is that there's no consistency in the man, right? So during the election campaign... He was in effect, although he wasn't smart enough to realise this, but he was going back to George Washington because he was saying that America should get out of all these foreign wars, Mm. right? So these are mistakes that Bush and then Obama created. So um, President Trump inherited wars from his predecessors and so far he has not created any new wars. He may yet do so over Venezuela, but he has not yet created a new war. And that, for, he receives credit, should receive credit for that, right? And so Trump was saying, we're not going to have all these foreign military activities. We're going to withdraw from them. And, of course, he's been trying to do so in Syria. The deep state in the United States does not approve of what he's doing. Um, so after he announced his withdrawal from Syria, both his national security advisor and his defence secretary went around the world saying, ignore the president. We're in for the long term. <laughs> so, so poor old Trump, having promised that he was going to become much more isolationist, has been mugged by the reality of the deep state. You've got a lot of military contracts involved here. Mm. You've got to keep Americans overseas. You've got to keep money going into defence. So what do you think Russia and China think they're going to accomplish working well, together to, to get, I guess, uh, uh, to get America? Well, I think that in the case of China, they they want to become the number one economic power by 2049, right? 100th anniversary of the Chinese Revolution. Twenty-four. Everything leads to 2049 in their calculations at the latest, 2049. Um, and so what they're doing is trying to strengthen their economy. They're still increasing military expenditure. But don't forget, the United States spends more on defence than Russia... China, the US, France, etc. combined. I think there are 17 countries that it outspends cumulatively, 17 countries. So you've got number one, the United States, the next 17, and the Americans are spending more than those 17 countries. I did my second doctorate on all of this military expenditure. Of course you did a second doctorate. <laughs> <laughs> Looking at how you could actually recycle that military expenditure. We could have rebuilt the earth since World War II, with all that amount of money. We can find money for war, but not for peace. So the tragedy is that the Chinese are trying to go about it very quietly. They're doing it through trade. Just how the British, they're learning from the British. The British built up an empire, not by directly invading, because the flag followed trade. So in other words, you had trading people like the Brooke family in uh, today's Malaysia, or raffles in today's Singapore, who just went out to do trade deals. No army involved. And then the army came along later. Similarly with the East India Company, they took over India, and then decades later, the British said, oh, well, we'll take it over, make it part of the British Empire. The British had fallen into their empire and ran a third or a quarter of the world in almost an absent-minded way. And the Chinese know their history... After all, they lost a bit of their territory to Britain and Hong Kong. The Chinese are more deliberately following the British pattern, which is to go in via trade. 
And so that's what the Chinese are about. The Russian one, I think, is just pure old-fashioned hangover from the Cold War era when a lot of Russians remember that they were treated as though they were equal to the United States. And Putin is tapping into that memory of a previous greatness on the part of the Soviet Union, today's Russia. So there you go. All the answers you need for now. For now. Thank you. (laughs) Global Truths was presented by Dr Keith Souter and me, Kate Mack. Produced by Live Proud. Audio production by Darcy Thompson. Listener.